Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, I got to spend some time with my in-laws and it was such a fun time to be with family. And one of the best things for me was seeing my son, who's about two years old, uh, interact with his little cousins. Uh, they're all ranging from two-year-old him uh, to a four-year-old, which is one of our nieces. And it was so much fun to see them kind of play and interact together. And that's two to four-year-olds. And so there was a there's a lot of energy uh, in that house for a few days. Um, but one of my favorite things that happened was that the grandparents gave these little toy cars to all the kids. Each kid got a different car. And it was a blast just watching how each kid, namely the little boys and the little girl, uh, interacted with that car differently. Uh, and so I took a video of it just because I couldn't help but to laugh at what I was seeing. And so I want you to kind of see if you could tell the difference between how little boys play with cars, little girl play with cars. It zooms in on the boys first, and then little girl comes in at the left. And so I want you to see if you can tell what's the difference between little boys playing and little girls playing. So if you couldn't tell, uh, all the little boys were trying to make as loud of a sound as they possibly could with their new toy. And then the girl walked in very delicately presenting the car for everyone to see. And uh, it was a lot of fun seeing them inter interact. One of my favorite things right now is looking at my little boy and to see him develop and to grow. And then he interacts with different kids. And I see his personality that God has woven into him and how that compares to other kids. And what was fun about that weekend was we really got like front row center how little boys and how a little girl will interact with the same thing. And so fun fact, there's differences between little boys and little girls. And some of those differences are kind of fun to see, you know, how they play with toys. Uh, some of them are much more apparent. At one point in the weekend, uh, one of my nephews, the two-year-old boy, uh, did what little two-year-old boys do and stripped down to nothing and ran around the house. And uh, my four-year-old niece, uh, who's an only child, looked at him, looked at us, pointed at him, and sweetly said, what's that? <laughs> and us in the room, only being her uncles and aunts, you know, very courageously said, uh, we're going to ask your father whenever he comes back, and we're going to let him kind of explain that to you, uh, but it was a fun time to see those differences play out because the reality of it is God has created that. God has created a beautiful expression between little boys and little girls, men and women, those that are made in the image of God with unity, that we share a united humanity as those made in the image of God. We share an equality with one another. And yet we're gonna see this morning the distinction and the beautiful distinction that God has created between little men, little women, men and women. And the reality of it is that beautiful design that God has given us, that distinction is being distorted in our culture today. It's one of the primary areas that's really being attacked right now. 
We talked a few weeks about, uh, ago about God making us in, in his image and in his likeness. And this is a part of that unique design that God has given us. And there's a distortion that's playing out in our culture. Like I'm a child of the eighties, I'm a child of the nineties. And so I'm old enough to remember when good old Bill Nye, the science guy explained the differences between a man, man and a woman, that a man has an X and a Y chromosome and a woman has an X and an X chromosome. And he did a whole show about it. And then this past year, Good old Bill Nye presented laughingly that there is no scientific difference between men and women. And it's just a cultural phenomenon. And so what changed? Did the science? No, our culture did. I chatted with Sue Bolin this week and if you don't know Sue Bolin, she's a delight. If you do, you know that, but she is kind of our resident expert here about this topic of manhood and womanhood. And something that she said was this. She said, every cell in your body, every cell in your body is either stamped with an XX for female or XY for male. There are 6,500 genetic differences between male and female that impact every organ system, our bones and muscles, our visual systems, how we perceive things, how well we hear, how well we process emotions, male and female are very different. That's reality, which means that we can't just interchange between male and female. There's a divide from the cellular level. And yet the world is presenting to us an alternative that there is no difference. Let's blur the lines. And that distortion that our world is pushing forward is leading to devastation. It's leading to hurt. It's leading to pain. I don't have to belabor this. You just look at the news and you see like day after day, week after week, just hardships that are happening because this line is being distorted. Like the biggest thing right now is what's happening in the University of Pennsylvania, which a guy who was ranked 452nd last year in swimming, 452nd, I might've beat him. 452nd in swimming is now ranked number one because he's no longer identifying as a man but now identifies as a woman competing in women's sports. And what that does is belittle not just those women's efforts, but those women themselves. And I could literally open the news right now and just list off to you story after story after story. And it's actually pretty easy to do. And it's easy to see the hurt that that's causing. But what was eye-opening for me this week was the reality of how much hurt, not just that they're causing, but how much hurt they're living in. You see, what's interesting is there was a study that's been done over the course of several years. It's been dating back for quite a while, but it's done out of Sweden. And what it showed was that kids that go undergo a, 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 um, a, a transition, undergo a, a medical procedure that would take them in their mind from a boy to a girl or a girl to a boy, that those individuals are 20 times more likely to commit suicide afterwards. And when I heard that stat this week, it just, something in me just really started to break and to grow in an empathy for those in that camp because the reality of it is like they're hurting and the world is presenting to them an alternative going, oh, oh, you, you identify internally as this way or that way. Well, here's the answer. What you need to do is undergo a procedure or you need to dress a certain way, you need to act a certain way and you need to kind of go all in. And they do that thinking that that's the answer, thinking that they're gonna find life only to be individuals that 20 times more likely will take their life. That there's something hurting in them. And when the world presented to them an option, they took it only to be left hurting. 
And so this distortion is leading to devastation. So don't believe the lie that this is for their good, that they just need to live their truth because it's hurting other around us and it's hurting them. And so we're in the middle of a series called Worldview. And a worldview is simply the way that you see the world, the lens by which you see the world by. And we've talked about a number of things so far through this series, but now we're zooming in on the worldview of manhood and womanhood. What does it mean to be created in the image of God as male and female? And let's look at the beauty of what that is as we see just the distortion that man has interjected. And so what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna ask those same three questions we've been asking every single week in this Worldview series. It's, a, it's three questions that as the teaching team and the elders got together and prayerfully considered, how do we present this? Because there's a lot of different directions you can do in a series like this. We said, okay, what are the questions we want our body to leave with after the series so that whatever topic comes up, whether in the world around you or in your world, you can ask these three, three questions, which is what does the Bible say about it? Which in this case is what does the Bible say about manhood and womanhood? Then how do we respond in humility? How do we draw a circle around ourselves and kind of take the plank out of our eyes so that we can, number three, how do we love others as ambassadors of Christ? So we're gonna be looking at those three questions today with the hope that we would fall more in love with the God in whose image we're being created into, male and female. And so first up, what does the Bible say about manhood and womanhood? Well, simply put, God's design for man and woman is beautiful. Genesis 1:27 says it this way. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So if you've been with us through the series, you might've noticed we've like quoted this verse like almost every single message that God created us in his image, in his likeness. And we've quoted it because in order to have a right worldview, you need to go the design intent. You need to understand how God has wired this world to function and at the basic level, how he desired humanity to function. And what I love about this is what we see is that we are made in God's image, which means that our manhood and our womanhood are downstream from who God is. We receive that from him. And what we see in here is because we reflect God's image that we as humanity have a, un a unity within one another, that we were created by God. It says he created man, that's the word human. He created us, but then we have an equality before him with dignity and value and worth. We were made in his image and his likeness. But then did you notice? It ends with a distinction. Male and female, he created them. So this is God's design, that humanity would reflect who he is by being united in a shared humanity, being equal before him, and yet distinct from one another. That's God's design. And so God's definition then for man and woman is simple. God's design is beautiful and his definition is simple. Genesis 2, 7 says it this way. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Down in verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm gonna make a helper fit for him. Literally in the Hebrew, that word fit for him literally means that one that would fit him. And that can mean emotionally and spiritually, which is true, but it also means physically that man and woman are mirrors of one another, but complements of one another. 
down to the physical level, someone that would fit man. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I am man and she is, whoo, man. It's the first poem of the Bible. That man sees himself and goes, I am man. She is, whoa, man, like look at her, right? Taken out of him, a mirror of him, yet a compliment of him. And it says here that therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one. And the man and his wife were both naked and there was not a bit of shame. So watch this. According to Genesis one and two, which is God's perfection playing out the way it should be, the Hebrew word is shalom. What is a man? What's a woman? You ready for this definition? You ready to write this down? A man is an adult human male. A woman is an adult human female. It's actually not that complicated. God made it simple. That a man is an adult, meaning not a kid, but a human, someone made in the image of God. But then male, male and female, he created them. This is what the world has believed for thousands of years. And so that plays itself out differently in the roles and the relationships you have within the church family and within a marriage. And Jeff's gonna hit on that a bit more next week. But when you look at this, there's a simplicity to it. And we try to complicate it. And the culture tries to complicate it. But God's made it simple for us. But the truth is, whatever God creates, the devil always counterfeits. Whatever God designs, the devil always distorts. And so where we see the beauty of God's design and the simplicity of his definition, we see the distortion amongst man. That man has distorted this and that distortion has lead to destruction. You see at the end of Genesis two, there's this beautiful picture of mankind loving God and mankind loving one another in this full unity, this full equality, this full distinction. Why? Because at the center of their world was God. That, that what they believed was truly real and ultimate and what ultimately defined reality was God. And yet in Genesis three, all of a sudden, humanity is presented a different alternative, a different path, a different worldview to not put God in the center, but rather put themselves in the center. And so, because the belief was, oh, God doesn't want you to lead to life. God doesn't want you to express life to the fullness. God is actually keeping life from you. You know, the author of life is keeping life from you. And so you need to kind of go your own path. You need to put yourself in the center. And so mankind does that and it leads to destruction. Genesis 3, 6 says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was the delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, not on God's terms, but your terms, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was just there with her. And he ate. So before we move on, just notice 
the first activity of sin in the Bible was woman reaching out. That was the first activity of sin amongst women. The first activity of sin amongst man was not active. It was passive. He sat around while his wife was being deceived and he did nothing, which is why most men still struggle with passivity. There's something broken in us. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Here's the devastation. And they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made from themselves loincloths. There's a lot of stuff happening in this moment, but I want you to notice something. The moment that mankind takes God out of the center of the story and puts themselves in, what do they do? They hide. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. What do they hide? They hide their differences. It says that they made loincloths to cover what? What was different about them. Genesis 2 ends with them saying they were both naked and they felt no shame. There was differences, but it was beautiful. It was a beautiful expression of the glory of God to make man and woman distinct from one another, yet celebrating that. And yet what happens in Genesis 3 is the moment that they sin, they go, oh, whoa, 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 you're different than me and I'm different than you. And so I gotta kind of whitewash this over. And that's exactly what we do in our world today. We hide the differences. Just like we talked about last week with race, when sin enters the picture, differences become a source of shame. We mask them from one another. We blur the lines or we war against one another instead of celebrating that we're united. We're equal, yet we're different, we're distinct. And as you keep reading Genesis, there is this downward spiral as men stop stepping into their role and women stop stepping into theirs. Men become very either apathetic, passive, or they become domineering. Either way, women suffer. Women either become helpless, used as property, mistreated, casted out, or they, like Eve, try to reach for something that's not theirs, try to control the situation. Either way, humanity suffers. And this is exactly what's happening in our world today. Whitewashing the differences between men and women. From homosexuality to gender dysphoria, to polygamy, to incest, to LGBTQ+, to gender realignment surgery, to objectifying men and women, to husbands being passive or domineering and not laying down their lives, to wives who are hurting, whether suffering in silence or trying to respond in anger and control. We've whitewashed the differences and we're seeing the hurt. So what's happening here? On a foundational level, what is happening here is a competition of worldviews. You see, week one, we showed you this, what a worldview is, and worldview is whatever you put at the very center of reality, what you think is ultimately real, because what you think is ultimately real will determine your beliefs, what you think is true. And then whatever you think is true will ultimately impact your values, what you think is good. And then ultimately at the end of the day, all these lead towards your behavior, what you do, whatever you put in the center impacts what you do. And yet we see a competing worldview playing out. We see God being put in the center of a Christian worldview. And when God is in the center of a Christian worldview of what humanity was designed to do, all of a sudden what is true is God's word. 
What God says about you is objective reality. Not what you feel, not what you think, but God's word is what's true. And then what's good is God's way because his way leads to life. And then what you ultimately do is God's will because God's will is what will lead you to having that life that he desires of you. And so when you put God in the center, it makes all the difference. But then what happens is the competing worldview. I don't wanna put God in the center, I'm putting myself in the center. When I put myself in the center, all of a sudden what becomes true is my self-identity, my label. And so we were meant to look at God and say, God, who do you say that I am? But instead we look ourselves in the mirror or we look at our friends or the culture around us and say, well, who do you say that I am? Give me a label. Give me identity, give me meaning, give me purpose. And God goes, I've done that. You're mine. And so that impacts your values. All of a sudden you value your own self-advancement. And then what you do is whatever benefits you. And of all the topics we've talked about, this might be the one in which that behavior, that last thing is the most apparent. And when you see that, it's easy to kind of combat behavior but under all of our behavior, there's something deeper. There's a value, there's a belief, there's a worldview. I love what Rene Gerard said. Um, he said, when you lose the transcendental, which means the belief in God, you're left with only your feelings. And since there's no anchor for your feelings, they're always changing, they're always fickle, you then rely on experts to sort them out. We have exchanged God for an expert. And there's an expert for every feeling you have. And so in the end, you're gonna find yourself once again, not worshiping God, but simply yourself. And your labels begin to be what defines you. It's instead of that, the reality that Christ defines you. And so what do you put in the center? Is it God or is it yourself? Because one leads to life, the other only to destruction. Romans 1.24 says it this way, summarizing everything I just said. It said, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because why? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They put themselves in the center, not God, and worshiped and served the cre creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relationships for those that were contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up the natural relationships with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. God's design is beautiful a unity, an equality, a distinction between man and woman. His definition is simple. A man is an adult human male. A woman is an adult human female. And so the destruction is devastating with men. What mankind has done, it's hurting them, it's hurting others. So then how do we respond as a church community how do we take that log out of our own eye? How do we draw that circle around ourselves so that we might love other people who are made in the image of God? Well, first we need to own something. We need to own the reality that we as a church community, I kinda mean the big C church in our culture has elevated sexual sins and sexual confusion over other sins. We've done that. 
It's like, it's easy to outcast people that don't struggle with the same thing that you do. But I read my Bible and it says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One of my favorite passages for this is 1 Corinthians 6, 9. It says this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You on that list? Because I am. If you don't see it, then go back to verse nine. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we outside of Christ are without hope. But Jesus, he comes in and it says in verse 11, but such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So the church has done a terrible job welcoming those that struggle in this category. We have cared more about a position on this matter than the people that matter. We, and I am including myself in this, we have sought to win arguments and not shepherd souls. There was a time um, whenever I was in college and uh, I was an intern at my home church and we did this like guys event. So just think like lock in overnight, gallon challenge, like you know, all that stuff. Um, write your sin on a log, throw it in the fire, you know, all the fun stuff that you do at a guy's night. And uh, there was a certain moment in the evening in which all the, all the guys were kind of hanging out and the interns were kind of debriefing kind of what was next. And, and one of the interns came in and he was like noticeably frustrated. And he walked in and he was just like huffing and puffing. And so all of a sudden I was like, hey man, what, what's going on? And he goes, you're not gonna believe this. I just talked to one of those, one of those guys and he just shared with me that he's, He's struggling with homosexuality. And I go, okay, what'd you say? And he goes, nothing. Man, I got out of there as fast as I could. That's gross. And um, I, I just remember that moment. Um, like I don't typically struggle with anger, but like that just like flipped a switch in me. And I'm not proud of that, but like I just looked at him and I was just like, man, like, wait, like, what, what kid are you talking about here? Because if you just ran off from him, like, like buddy, like, you, you recognize, like, I know you struggle with pornography. And just because your sin is heterosexual and his is homosexual doesn't mean that you and him don't both need Jesus. And so I asked him, I was like, which kid is it? And I kid you not, he couldn't point the kid out of a lineup. I, to this day, pray for that kid because I just hate the fact that he shared and felt like it, this could be a safe place maybe. And what he got was not grace, but gross. And I wanted someone just to, I've been, just pray for that kid that I'm like, okay, I want someone just to, to hug him in the name of Christ and tell him that he's loved and he's cared for. And, and so like, if you're in here and you were that kid, or you were in a situation like that, or you've been scared for years to share what's really going on in you because you go, I, I don't think the church is a safe place. Man, would you forgive us for not welcoming the way that we have been welcomed in Christ? 
And I want you to know this is a safe place. It's a safe place. We can't cast you out because if we did, we'd be casted out with you. There was one that was casted out on our behalf and it's Jesus the Christ. And he came for you. He came for all of us. And so we have to recognize we've missed it here. It's interesting, the Barner Report did a survey amongst non-Christians recently, and they asked, hey, what are your top three like descriptors of Christians, just what words come to your mind? And they said this, these were non-Christians about Christians. They're judgmental, they're hypocritical, and they're homophobic. Believe what you will about you or us, but that is how the world sees us. We got some work to do of loving the way that we've been loved welcoming the way we've been welcomed. We need to own that we have elevated sexual sins and sexual confusions above others and have casted people out where we should have been welcoming them in. Secondly, we gotta own the fact that we have bought into cultural gender stereotypes and not biblical masculinity and femininity. Like just ask yourself right now, like what comes to your mind when you think about a man? What comes to your mind when you think about a woman? Now ask yourself, is that actually biblical or is that cultural? My hunch is that many of us will gravitate to whatever the cultural definition was, whether that was the cultural definition of when we were growing up or what our father or mother kind of instilled into us, but just think about it. What are we doing there? We're letting cultural define the terms and then we're just kind of going along with it. And so I've been in church for a long time. And I've heard a lot of different definitions of what, like, what a man is, what a woman is, and what qualifies them. And I've heard a, a wide range of, of things, like men watch sports, women don't work, a boy's favorite color better, better be blue, or so help me, girl can't play in the mud. I mean, like, what have we done there? We have bought into cultural gender stereotypes and not biblical manhood and womanhood. And so you wanna talk about a man that's after God's own heart, King David? Like, look, we think, okay, yeah, he killed Goliath. He went off and literally killed thousands of other people. He was a man of war. He was a man's man. And that man's man also wrote most of the poetry in your Bible. And that man's man one time so emphatically danced in front of his army that his wife was embarrassed. And not to one-up David, but Jesus, ever heard of him? Man, he preached boldly. He flipped tables and he drove people out of a temple with a whip who were not honoring God the way that they should. And that man cried on three different occasions in front of his boys. And I've been told men don't cry. You wanna tell that to Jesus? Three different times. He played with kids openly in the street, which no man did in that culture. He elevated the rights and the beauty of womanhood without taking from them, he gave to them. We have bought into gender stereotypes. Like I think what's happened over the last, in my life, you know, a couple of decades, but it's been going on since, the, since Genesis 3, in which the culture kind of defines the terms and we just kind of go along with it. And what's happening right now is the culture has defined the terms of what masculinity means, what femininity means, and all of a sudden what we're seeing right now in our culture is a rejection of that by our culture. I'm like, you made up the definition and now you're rejecting the definition, but the definition is now so associated with the design that we're just throwing out everything. And we as a church have failed 
at presenting an alternative. Because we just kind of bought into whatever the culture said decades ago, years ago, and just went along with it. Yeah, men do that. Yeah, women do that. And what we need to do is restore what God has given us, the beauty of man and woman. And so God has created two sexes, male and female. And within those, there is not one type of man, but a spectrum. Within those, there's not one type of woman, but a spectrum. And so you who have kids probably will instinctively put your boys or girls somewhere on the spectrum because God made them that way. And there's a line that you cannot cross 6,500 different things that go on on a genetic level between man and woman. You cannot cross this no matter what you do externally or no matter what you dress like or no matter what surgery you undergo. There is a line that you cannot cross biologically and biblically, but within those, there's a spectrum. And that spectrum is beautiful, designed by God. There's the rough and tumble boys, but then there's the sensitive boys. There's the girly girls and then there's the tomboys and everyone in between creating this mosaic of the beauty of what God has designed. And so like I took my boy to the park the other day, like after the, the, the freeze kind of went away and I just took him there and, and like the entire park was like green, but there was this one puddle and guess what he did? He went and stood in that one puddle. Didn't be playing it, he just stood in it. I was like, how did you find the one puddle in the park? And so you know what we did? We played in that puddle. And then every single time I've noticed my boy, every time we, we turn on music, he just starts dancing. And so we went home, we cleaned him up, we turned on some music and we had a dance party. Why? Because someone's gotta show him these moves, right? And it's not gonna be TikTok, okay? And so here's reality. I get to see my little boy grow and I get to identify how God's wired and made him and celebrate you are a boy. And I wanna invest in you so that you would become a man after God's own heart. I get to celebrate how God's made you and wired you. And some of you men need to repent of trying to make your boy grow into your image and not the image of Christ. So there's a spectrum here. It's interesting, one of my earliest memories, um, my dad and my brother were downstairs watching football and I was upstairs with my mom and sister watching um, Dawson's Creek. <laughs> so a difference, but, but here's reality. Um, I, I love playing sports growing up. I was uh, never great at them, but I love playing them, but I didn't like watching them. And as I grew, I began to realize I really love stories. And I never once did my parents look at me and go, no, 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 men watch sports, you get down here. But rather they saw that in me and they celebrated that, that you love stories. Now, Dawson's Creek probably wasn't the best thing to affirm that. It's a little bit more PG-13 than um, a seven-year-old should have been watching, but, but here's reality. For a living now, I tell stories. Because that was developed and encouraged by my parents. And so we've bought into gendered stereotypes and not biblical masculinity and femininity. And we need to repent from that. And we need to restore what God has created. And so how do we love others as ambassadors? How do we now love and move towards people? 
Well, simply put, we love them. Like so many people don't know what to do when people look different or active, we love them. But love is not agreeing with a lifestyle. Love is being an ambassador to lead them to the life that's found in Christ. And so for those struggling with any sexual confusion in here, let me just be very clear. There is no system, there is no program that can change the human heart. Only Christ can. And I don't know where you're at with your journey, but just know you're not weird. You're loved. And Jesus loves you right where you're at, but loves you enough to meet you there and to begin to transform you into his image and likeness, who you were meant to be. So just know that you're loved. Some of my best friends here have this in their story. It's a high call to follow Christ. But I can attest this is a safe place to share. And I would invite you to do so. To those who know someone struggling with any sexual confusion, there's an acronym that's been helpful for me in my own journey as I engage with people in this arena. And when I say sexual confusion, I mean, that's everything. That's someone struggling with pornography. That's someone who's struggling with gender dysphoria. That, that's everything. And so I found an acronym that was helpful. And if you know me, like, surprise, surprise, an acronym helped Derek. Um, but this acronym was helpful, and it's the acronym LIFE. And it's look to Christ. There's no system that can change someone's heart. And so we're not trying to combat behavior or behavior modify. We're trying to recognize that there's a worldview at place here in which they put themselves in the center like we all have at one point. And we need to look to Christ and we need to be pointing them to Christ and recognize with them that this is an image of God issue. That God has made this design and it's beautiful and let's celebrate that. But then we do need to be firm on sin. We don't need to whitewash what sin is, but call sin what it is because all sin leads to death. And if you love them, you don't want them leading to death. But then we need to emphasize grace, emphasize grace. That but we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified, not because we were better or didn't have that struggle, but because Christ, because Christ, because Christ. To parents in here, you have such a great opportunity to lead the next generation in the culture that we're living in. And as I've heard it said before, the devil doesn't have to be right, he just has to be first. And so I would encourage you early on, instill this in your little boys and your little girls. I talked to Grant McQuilkin this past week for about an hour. He's doing a breakout on this in the parenting conference, him and his wife. And we just talked about, hey, what are some ways we can practically do this? And he just goes, hey, and we just kind of talked and, and I put it into a little chart that was helpful for me and I hope it's helpful for you. He said, hey, for, for boys, champion the call of manhood. That men were designed within the church and at home to lead to use their strength to lay down their life. And so teach and celebrate initiative, servanthood, and sacrificial Christ-like leadership. When you see that in your little boys, celebrate that. Not just that they're good at sports, but rather that they're sacrificial. And then surround them with godly men who express the full spectrum of masculinity that looks different than you. That's why community is such a beautiful thing. For girls, champion the call to womanhood. Read, teach, and celebrate Proverbs 31 attributes, which is a snapshot of a godly woman. Read that, think about that, share that with her. And then surround her with other godly women who express the full spectrum of femininity that's different than you. And then for both, we need a model 
being transformed into the image of Christ. They should see you grow year after year because the more you grow into Christ's likeness, the more you're gonna look like a man or a woman after God's own heart, the way you were meant to be. Model manhood and womanhood within marriage, within the church and in your community. They should see men and women interacting together that celebrate one another, encourage one another, that see that and go, man, there's something beautiful there. And then finally, model dating for and with your kids. Like men, fathers, date your daughters. Because if they don't know what a godly man looks like, they're never gonna know what a wolf looks like. And so take them out, have fun, get to know their interest and go and participate with them in that. And mothers, you do the same. Have fun with your kids, but date them so that they know what to look for when they get a bit older. For all of us, we need to stop solely playing defense in this category. We need to play offense. What would it look like for that person who either assumes a different sexual identity or approves of it in others? What would it look like to grab lunch with them this week, to invite them into your home, to invite them here, to let them know that you might disagree with their lifestyle, but you love them. I'm reading a book right now that's called um, Why on Earth Would Anyone Be a Christian in the First Three Centuries? It's a terrible name for a book, but it's, you get the picture. Because if you were a Christian in the first few centuries, what that meant was that your life was basically forfeited. You were ultimately gonna be led to be killed. So like, why would, why would anyone do this? Well, the first three centuries were a lot like our culture right now in which the world was sexually perverse. Men weren't being men. They were going out and sleeping with prostitutes and that was considered okay in that culture. Women were being demeaned or trying to rise up in control. And all of a sudden, this group of people who took the name Little Christ, Little Christ, Little Christian, were being conformed into the image of Christ. And all of a sudden, fathers were playing with their kids. Husbands were loving their, their wives sacrificially. And the world began to look over at men who were called to be men and women who were called to be women doing that. And they began to see the beauty of it. And Christianity began to take over that culture because men were called to be men and women were called to be women as they both pursued Christ. And so we have an opportunity, City Bridge, in a culture that looks a lot like the first few centuries, to be men, to be women, and to chase after Christ together. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.